Uh, all right. Thank you all for being here. Um, so this is a class um, I'm, I'm excited about, and uh, I'm excited to uh, see some of the discussions that play out over the next several weeks. Uh, I think there are, those will take us into some really interesting places, and, um, and I'm really excited for that. Uh, today will be a little bit different, uh, so please don't let me turn you off to the rest of the uh, class series. Um, because I think uh, I'm excited for it, and I'm excited to see kind of where that, that leads. Um, so I think um, Jason asked me to kind of step in and do a bit of an intro for this class, and so um, I think the reason that he um, did is because, for me, this question of science and scripture is a personal question. It's really kind of shaped the trajectory of my life and kind of where, how I've kind of grown up and what choices I've made and where I've gone and where, what I've done and, and what I focus on. And um, so it's a, a really deep concern to me. I'm interested in hearing about um, your engagement with, with the, these topics and what it means to you. Um, but so for many, um, for those who don't know me, I grew up as a preacher's kid in the conservative churches of Christ. And so my family was in small churches, mostly rural, all over the country. And, um, and so that was, the, that was the environment I grew up in. My church was kind of my, uh, my life. Church was my family's life. We spent all of our time uh, engaged in church-related activities. And... Um, so, it's maybe important to um, understand that for virtually everyone I knew, um, they they all believed um, that science was a lie. And I don't want a straw man because uh, almost nobody would have said that, right? Everybody would have said the scientific consensus is a lie. The scientific um, understanding is mistaken. But um, what I was told uh, by everyone who um, I was around was that, um, that the scientific understanding and idea about where the world came from and how it had developed and all those kinds of things was completely mistaken, completely broken. Right? So it wasn't just that um, science had made a few mistakes or was a fallible enterprise. Um, it was actually that, of course, um, evolution hadn't happened. Right? There was no kind of molecules to, uh, to man kind of progression. That's not how um, things happened. But it was more than that. It was, was also that um, there, was no, uh, there was no Jurassic era, right? Uh, there was no killer asteroid that had wiped out the dinosaurs. There was no time period in Earth that looked like that. That whole picture of what was going on in the world was wrong. There was no real ice age. There was no glaciation. There was no ancient kind of uh, supercontinent of Pangaea. None of those things, that re scientific reconstruction of our past was all incorrect. And along with that um, went almost everything else because it meant that of course the the earth was um, 6,000 years old not four and a half billion years old um, 
we now we had no real clue if we understood what was you know at the core of the earth what if those things were were working of course the universe was not uh, 13 billion years old as the scientific consensus kind of indicated it was actually um, again 6,000 years old and that meant that um, when we looked up at the sky and we saw stars <laughs> colliding and being born and exploding and uh, galaxies in formation, all this kind of stuff. We were looking at something millions of light years away, right? And millions of light years away means that it takes millions of years for that light to get to us. And so since the universe hadn't been here millions of years ago, then all of that was some kind of grand optical illusion, right? That maybe God had painted in the sky or maybe... Maybe something else was really off about what we, were, what we thought we were seeing out there, right? And so that meant um, that really everything that science had to tell us about the universe was completely wrong, right? There was nothing it could tell us about the universe, about, the, about matter and energy, about the earth, about how life itself worked. Nothing about that was, was correct. And that either meant that science was deeply methodologically flawed, right? It could not produce accurate understandings of the world. Or it meant that every scientist um, virtually ever was in on a giant, giant conspiracy, right? And that was scary, right? If, the, if, if everybody around is in on some kind of terrifying conspiracy to delude us about what the universe is really like, just to hide from God, essentially. That's a pretty bad world to live in, right? Um, but on the other hand, if uh, science is just so methodologically broken, that it cannot understand the world we live in at all, then all of our technology, our, our screens, our computers, our internet, our jet airplanes, our spaceships, all this kind of stuff, is built on such a fundamentally broken premise that we should be really, really scared about what's going to happen the next time we get on a plane, right? Is it just going to suddenly plummet out of the sky, right? Or is gravity going to stop working in the same way? How can we trust any of this if science is so mistaken as to be so wrong about our universe? Um, so this was the world that I grew up in. And, um, and you know... I was, I was taught this, everybody I knew, all my friends believed this, um, and I grew up and I read all of the, the literature. I went to a Ken Ham uh, thing. If you don't know who that is, he built the ark up in Kentucky. Um, and, uh, you know, the Churches of Christ had their own kind of version of Ken Ham, and I went, you know, was in all these kinds of different things, and I read all the literature, I read all the explanations of, um, of how this was... Um, you know, the science had, had made this huge, drastic mistake. And then I, uh, I left home. I went to Fried Hardeman University, and I heard uh, virtually the same thing, right? And as far as I can tell, all of my teachers at Fried Hardeman, physics, biology, all that, believe the same thing. Like, science was fundamentally mistaken in this core way. So um, if you want to bring your kids up in that, Send them to Fried Hardeman. Um, and uh, uh, so uh, there's a plug. Um, uh, so that, 
well into my 20s, this was the primary kind of influence that I had from people around me. This was the primary idea. And, um, but there was another thing. And uh, that is that growing up in the church, um, I was taught this. Study for yourself. I was taught that this was the core thing that I had to do as a Christian. I was taught this by my parents. I was taught this by my Sunday school teachers. Everybody said, this, was, this is what we do. We study the Bible for ourselves. We come to understand what God's truth really is. We can't trust that you know, what your parents said, what your preacher said, what your teacher said. You have to actually make your faith your own. And I later came to understand that as the core idea of the churches of Christ. We care about the Bible. We care about Scripture. We care about understanding it for ourselves and, and looking into it for ourselves. And so I took that seriously, and that made me a real pain to my Sunday school teachers. Um, and so, um, uh, but so from a young age, I really, really was trying to study and trying to understand. And I realized that that... Um, meant that I had to also study science and philosophy and theology and technology and all these kinds of things because um, if it was up to me to study and understand God's truth and God's revelation, I couldn't leave part of that out. Right? God was the creator. He had created the entire universe. There wasn't, he wasn't going to put part of it over here and part of it over here and say, you know, this is for you. Just read the Bible and don't pay any attention to all this other stuff I've done, all these galaxies and so forth, right? Like, so I knew that I had to study this stuff. And so I studied, um, studied all the science I could get my hands on, all the biology, all this kind of stuff. And that led me into studying, um, reading all this stuff from people like Richard Dawkins and, uh, and people who are both uh, prominent scientists and also um, incredibly uh, adamant atheists, right? And so... By the time I was 12, I was asking myself, am I becoming an atheist? Because everybody who read these books, I looked around, I was like, everybody who's reading this has become an atheist, right? This is what the, this is the trajectory everybody's on. Am I on this trajectory? You know, is that what I'm, what I'm growing up into um, just by reading these things? And so as a 12-year-old, this is the, the question I was asking myself. And, um, and I was looking around, and I, was, and I knew there was nobody who could help me out with this. Nobody could answer these questions for me. Because if I took this to my Sunday school teachers or you know, anybody else that I, I knew and respected and trusted, what I would hear from them was, um, science is a lie, right? It's, it's not right. They just got it wrong. Richard Dawkins is not an uh, accomplished biologist. He's just a very confused individual, right? And, uh, and so, um, but I had read this stuff, and I found the arguments compelling, right? I couldn't write them off in the same way that, that Ken Ham and um, uh, Apologetics Press or whatever uh, had. Like, I couldn't just discount them because I'd read the arguments, and they seemed convincing to me. And maybe they were pulling the wool over my eyes, but... Um, but their arguments were better than the, uh, the other arguments I was reading, right? So um, I, I, nobody, nobody could answer this for me because nobody had engaged with these arguments in the way that I was engaging with them. Um, they just kind of discounted them. They just weren't relevant. 
Um, and so, um, so this was this was a big big challenge, and it was a big struggle, and it continued to be a struggle for a very very long time. For decades, I was kind of just in that thing as you know, am I becoming an atheist? Even as I'm going to youth group, doing all these things, going to um, Fried Hardeman, hearing all the, the the way that people talk about it, you know, like. All this kind of stuff, um, you know, th that was my question. Um, is, you know, and I knew that I was essentially holding on to faith by, by a thread, right? Like, I was just, a, just a barely able to grasp it. And what I was really convinced of emotionally is that the, many of the church people that I was around, many of the religious people, were actually just kind of running and hiding from the truth. They just really weren't kind of engaging <coughs> and seeing where it led. Um, and so I never became an atheist, um, but um, but a lot of my friends did, right? And uh, a lot of the people that I grew up with in these same environments, um, they didn't have the struggle as early as I did, but maybe they were perfectly happy with this view of the world up until they um, graduated from Christian college and they stepped out into the world and all of a sudden um, all of a sudden they were hit with something else. <coughs> all of a sudden some piece of that no longer made sense. Some piece of it started to crumble. And um, you know if, you're, if your choice is like the idea that well the whole scientific establishment is deeply mistaken or deeply compromised and then there's faith over here, which has it all the perfect understanding of reality that, that nobody else shares. And you start to see, like, well, maybe they interpreted this verse wrong. Or maybe I find this small argument compelling. You know, then all of a sudden that picture starts to fall apart. And as soon as one piece of it falls out of place, then the whole thing starts to tumble. And so for many people that I grew up with, there was no way back. The whole thing fell apart. There was no faith to turn back to. Um, the, you know, the whole premise of their faith was gone. Um, and so that, um, you know, that situation, I think, is um, the case for a lot of people. Uh, it's a lot of people that I grew up with. It's a lot of people who didn't grow up in as conservative of an environment as, as I did. Um, but it, uh, you know, this idea that we need to, um, to ha that we have to keep these things separate, that we can't allow them to challenge each other, puts us in a really kind of fragile situation. And it, it's that that kind of passion for that that has um, led a lot of the stuff that I've done over the last six years. And so I've spent a huge amount of time trying to bring people of faith. Um, into contact and into conversation with uh, secular scientific thinkers um, because I'm convinced that it's not enough for us to keep these apart. It's not enough for us to um, even say we're going to talk to the Christians in science, right? We actually have to be able to talk to um, scientists, whoever they are. We have to be open to that challenge, and we have to enter into it. And I think it's really important. It's not just an academic concern about, like, what is our origin or something like that. It's, it's actually about the, the world we live in and the future 
right? Are we building a future that is good for humanity, is good for society? Um, if science isn't uh, reliable, we either need to get rid of it or we need to fix it, right? Because we're kind of building a future based on this. And if science needs faith, as I believe it does, then we better get faith involved. And um, so that's, um, that's a lot of what I do. Um, this is a, a conference that I'm doing here October 19th at Lipscomb University, where this is the kind of thing we're doing. We're bringing in um, scientists and uh, people of faith to engage in some of these questions. But um, so I'm interested in hearing uh, from you guys. Um, you know, th this is my interest in it. This is my kind of engagement with with these subjects. Is that uh, does that any of that resonate with you? Has your experience been different, similar, totally never concerned about it before? Like, what what are your what are your thoughts? Very similar story to the way I grew up, like rural Alabama, raised yeah. in very conservative churches of Christ, and we heard all the anti-evolution arguments and like, well, how how would a woodpecker have ever evolved? They would have smashed their faces yeah. in. There's no way. Yeah, that's right. Yes, all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, and I was I was a nerdy kid, so yeah. I was in all the science and you know, yeah. Uh, so, I I don't know that I ever. Maybe I was just maybe I had more blind faith, but I never quite got to the point of feeling like I was becoming an atheist, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I did have a lot of questions and mm -hmm. things that like were not easily resolved. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I kind of grew up. Uh, I was raised very very strict Presbyterian. My okay. parents and grandparents were both raised very strict Catholic. Yeah. So I was taught you don't question anything. Yeah. I actually got a lecture from a Sunday school teacher for asking why dinosaurs don't appear in the Bible when I was seven years old. Um, so I was raised very much, you don't question it. Yeah. You don't ask. You don't go out and study for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I hit high school and it just kind of, like you said, all fell apart around me. Mm -hmm. And I did go the path of leaving church and studying for myself. I yeah. studied Greek mythology. I studied... Um, Hindu, I studied yeah. all of these different religions and still somehow ended up back in mm -hmm. the Christian church. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of like seeing the science aspect of things because mm -hmm. I did go that direction. Mm -hmm. And well, faith means nothing, science means everything, mm -hmm. and focused on that side of it. So yeah. it's nice to see it being brought in. Yeah. So I grew up completely opposite my husband. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents are atheists. Mm -hmm. I grew up not in a church at all, and it was actually very frowned upon that I started going to church. Um, I went on a missions trip when I was in high school, and my parents were very upset about it. Um, so it was a very contradictory way. It's really interesting to be married to somebody yeah. who's so <laughs> fundamentally different. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say that I appreciate so much being in a church that is willing to have these kind of discussions because it is very difficult with all these different backgrounds and I know I can't imagine having these conversations with his parents mm -hmm. it would cause so much anxiety in me um, but I think it's really important to have these conversations because I have a very curious 11 year old who is very scientific minded and I know these conversations are coming so I appreciate that yeah. 
there, there are still topics that we don't want to look at. Mm. I think when you, when you, the deeper you get into things, the more complicated the universe becomes. I mean, it was very simple when you looked out yourself. Then, then suddenly there became black holes and dark matter and dark energy, and it compounded everything. And I think the ultimate question is, if you get into this, yeah. you're going to eventually look at the nature of God and why he created it this way yeah. and how that reflects back on who he is and where he is and what he is and we don't want to get into those questions. Yeah. yeah. I think to me one of the bigger questions can we look at the creation story and find a different way of interpreting it mm -hmm. where the integrity of our faith is not compromised mm -hmm. but maybe we don't take it so literally that this is the only way God could have done it. And I don't know as Christians how many of us are willing to even entertain that as a possibility that at least the first part of the Genesis stories or story, is, it is possible mm -hmm. that it could be one group of people trying to say how they saw faith yeah. 6,000 years ago or whenever that was unique to everybody else that they were coming in contact with, mm -hmm. you know. No, mm -hmm. the world sits on a turtle's shoulders. No, it sits on Hercules, you know, and to say, no, we believe God and he spoke and it was created. Yeah. I don't see how that conflicts with science. But I think sometimes people think that the creation story is a stenographer taking down notes from God, and that's it. And if you can't believe that, you're a shallow Christian. And I think it takes guts to look at that story and allow a, a largeness that didn't exist when it first was, it first came to life. And I don't know how many people would feel like they would have to lose their faith to embrace a different interpretation. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's kind of along the lines of a comment I wanted to make. Because, okay, so yes, we have all been raised in this tradition where we believe that this is a literal a stenographer was taking this, and it's what we're taught to believe, and we've, and we've done our research, and we've read, and we're like, oh, man, I'm personally not comfortable with that anymore. Can't, I can't book, can't follow with that anymore. And now I feel like, that was there, has there in very recent history been this tipping point, where now we all say, oh, no, that was, a, that was a, and that was an analogy, but that was, that was, that's not real, that was, we're, we're, we're supposed to understand some greater truth out of that. But I don't know that that's exactly consistent with, like, so the entire history of Abrahamic religions has presented this as fact, right? It's, it's, it's how, how disingenuous is it to say, oh, no, no, mm -hmm. now we're, we're going to, you know, yeah, I'm struggling with my words here, but, yeah. but I, I don't know that it's, it's, it's okay for us to say that this is an analogy because it was never presented as an analogy. It was presented as this is, this is how it happened. Right? And, and so how do we, like, maybe I'm just trying to say, is it the easy way out to say, oh, no, it's an analogy? It's a, it's a really hard, like, I don't know how to answer a question of, no, this is presented as fact, and I cannot personally accept it as fact. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I, I think there's, um, I think we don't want to take the easy way out, right? We don't want to just, like, say, okay, well, whatever we, we want it to mean or whatever. Uh, but we also have to ask the question of, did 
is this really how it was understood historically? Um, and, you know, 2,000 years ago, is that actually how people were reading it? Or is that just kind of the way we've been handed it in our cultural context? Um, because, you know, as, um, and I think they'll probably touch on this uh, at some different points throughout this class, but as I've um, kind of looked at the history of the Christian faith, I think there are some really unique things about the way American uh, Christian culture works that are very different than uh, what Christian faith has been historically and globally. And I think that um, that's a challenge for us. We have to really um, dig deep to make sure we're not just kind of imposing our American assumptions on the text. And part of that is um, goes to like we live in a post enlightenment society, right? Like things really changed after the 1500s, and people started thinking about science in a different way. Uh, I'm an engineer, and I'm, I'm all science all the way. Uh, I've, I've struggled with uh, this exact topic as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just feel like I, I read or heard something about um, Darwin, and he was a very devout Christian, and uh, he just felt like science was uh, uncovering God's plan. Mm -hmm. uh, the more we, the more we learn, the more we. Mm -hmm. See uh, the big picture, mm -hmm. and I, I feel I, I feel some resonance with the, the parts in the Bible that have now been scientifically explained. Mm. But there are things in the Bible that you know just seem outlandish and uh, can't be scientifically explained. Yeah. And we were in a Josh Strahan's class, Bible is Story, yeah. and so that plays into this as well. In that humans. Uh, love stories, and that's yep. that, that's a that's a really really great way to, to uh, get your point across mm -hmm. even now. And uh, it's hard to know uh, where the story ends and where the facts begin in the Bible. And mm -hmm. I think it just takes kind of like what you said, your own personal your own personal uh, research to find where that line is. And I think that line changes every day with with new science, new technology, new uh, revelations. Mm. Um, there's, uh, I, I think of this a lot. Uh, the, I think it's David Matthews. It has the Psalms, the space between. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then in the Bible, we, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I think yeah. we've come a long way, but I think back to Copernicus and yeah. Galileo. And the church did went through, you know, quite a bit of effort to keep their determination that the sun did not revolve around the earth, but that the earth revolved around the sun from becoming generally known, because they thought that it would be, I assume, a detriment to people's faith because Joshua commanded the sun to stand still, so it must have been going around the earth, mm -hmm. and a lot of other things that went into that. Mm -hmm. But it was a scientific discovery that scared the Pope and others to death, and they had to shut that up, mm -hmm. and they did their best to do that. Yeah, the, the um, thing that's interesting about that is um, 
it's often presented as like a struggle between the the scientist and the Catholic Church. But it's um, Martin Luther also weighed in a similar thing. You know, he's like this fool, where you know, like what what is he doing, right? And at the same time, um, other Christians were deeply engaging in theology that led them into scientific exploration and discovery. Right around uh, the same era, Francis Bacon was writing, was devising the scientific method by reading Genesis 1, um, which I find a really profound and interesting story, uh, which maybe we can get into sometime. I'll just give a plug. I'm going to be teaching two classes in October. We're going to talk a lot about Johannes Kepler, who to me is, I love Johannes Kepler, because some of his, he was about the same time as Galileo, and some of his discoveries led to an internal crisis of faith for him. Yeah. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that affected him and how he dealt with it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a Kepler fan. But yeah. I, I, won't, I won't be obsessed about it, but yeah. it's worth mentioning. Uh, um, I'd like to hear more, but I want to show you a couple of things that, for me, shape some of this this conversation. Because I think one of the things um, we deal with when we um, we look at this stuff is we're reading. It's about interpreting the text, right? Like, what does the text actually say? How do we read it? How do we understand scientific evidence? How do we interpret that, right? And these are the kind of questions that come up, and um, it's easy to get. Um, stuck in just the idea that we have to make sure we're reading, say, Genesis 1 accurately. But I think there's also a really important um, aspect of, of our theology which says we need to make sure we read creation accurately as well. And I, I think some of these um, some of the scriptures and theology, the, the reason I have a faith in science um, is because my theology says that, that science is um, is significant, and uh, so this is I think some of the, the the things that have motivated people of science historically um, have been things they found in the scriptures. One is um, I think you know is is interesting comes from Romans one presents the creation of the world God's invisible qualities His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. And uh, so this is what theologians call general revelation, right? Um, and it's, it is, imply, is implied to have a moral component, but it's also um, seen to have a physical component, right? God created the universe. These things are connected. Um, we can't just kind of write off God's creation or what we're seeing. And Paul here is saying that we should be able to understand truths about God from nature, Right? We, not only is nature a, a, a revelation of God's truth, it's also a revelation of God's truth that we have the ability to understand. And I think that's really significant. It's really significant for thinking about what the scientific enterprise is. Um, if we want to say that science is completely wrong, then what does it do to um, verses like this? Right? Um, a similar one. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Right? And this is a similar thing. The, the 
nature is a revelation of God. Um, and I think we should be really careful as Christians um, that we don't undermine this. We don't undermine the theological connection between what we're saying about the world, what we're saying about creation, what we're saying about humanity within God's creation, and what we're saying about Scripture. So this passage right here I think is really interesting because uh, just a few verses later, um, it uh, kind of it draws an interesting connection. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. This is connecting what they just said about the revelation of God in nature with the law of the Lord as a moral idea. It's almost as if it's connecting the laws of nature, the laws of physics, with the laws of God revealed in Scripture. There's a similarity between them. There's a connection. There's a connecting point in the way the psalmist sees this. And um, so I think, I think that's really profound. I think this is influential in how scientists um, came to see the world as being defined by laws, by being defined by um, the laws that issued forth from a creator. Um, and um, so there's, uh, there's one more uh, passage I want to touch on that is not normally brought up in this, but I think it's actually um, really significant. Um, and it's Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is really profoundly connected to a lot of the things in the New Testament. You see it referenced and quoted a lot. Um, we don't I, we don't catch a lot of those those references um, in the way that they would have, where you know a phrase or a word like pops out. So this says, uh, "When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, all, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swims in the paths of the sea. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like it's referencing a story? Yeah, this is, this is Genesis 1, like it's reiterating it, right? But he's saying, like, he's looking at the, um, the heavens, right? He's looking at how grand the universe is. And he's saying, what are we in this universe? And yet, you gave us charge over all these things. You gave us responsibility over all these things. You put us in here as people who are in the image of God, called into some kind of role within the universe, right? And so there's is a combination of recognizing that we are small, we are tiny, and yet we have been gifted with some kind of ability both to perceive God's handiwork in a way the rest of creation maybe doesn't even see it or understand it, and also to affirm it and to participate in the work of God. Um, and yeah, that's, that's Genesis, um, Genesis 1, right? And this... Um, this idea that humans are made in God's image and given this ability to, um, to rule, um, which has sometimes been a, a thought of in an abusive way, but I think we need to keep in the context of Genesis 1, um, this ability is an ability to understand and, and really work with 
what God has created. Right? I think that's what's going on here. Um, and so the, the image of God is connected with, um, with our scientific um, ability and our understanding. And that's how I think a lot of scientists have understood it historically. Um, and we see in Genesis 2 a God calling humanity to tend and cultivate the ground, right? to participate in this kind of um, work of engaging with creation. And, um, and so I think those things are really significant to how we think of and understand the, na- the relationship between God and creation and our place in creation. I think we need to keep those in mind um, theologically as we think about the relationship between science and faith and these scriptural stories because I think they do say something really profound about us and God and our relationship to creation. Any um, any other thoughts, disagreements, controversies? Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for making that way. And I identify very in terms of growing up, you know, in the faith and whatnot. My question kind of came later on than yours did, but you know, in in exposing myself to secular ideas and such, one and I'm just curious as the combination of, of faith and science. One of the things that seems to be kind of at the core fundamental level kind of seeming to be intention, and I'm just curious to hear how you think about it, is scientifically it seems like the idea is that you start with observation and draw conclusions, and then in faith it seems that you start with a conclusion mm-hmm. and see how the observation fits the narrative, mm-hmm. right? And so that seems to be at the core philosophically kind of intention between science and faith, and I'm just curious how it's thought about in this kind of community of science, faith, and, and working in tandem. Mm-hmm. That's a really great question. There's uh, there's going to be a lot of different answers about that. I, I have an I have a, a thought on that. Any other um, comments? No. Um, I think we should get away from uh, zero or one thinking, mm-hmm. uh, black or white, mm-hmm. um, positive or negative. I think the truth some lies somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. uh, between science and and faith mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, through this class and, you know, mm-hmm. in culture itself. Yeah. I just think you can't, I think something that I've discovered in my reading and personal um, exploration in these topics, something that kind of Dan alluded to and you responded to is, and even with your yourself and your friends who felt like there was a, there was a, option A, option B, split in the road. And I, I think it can be really freeing and peace-giving to recognize that our view of faithfulness is not the only way to be faithful to both the Scripture and the story of God and the way the Scripture reveals it. And so it's not simply a question of, I either have to hold to the way I've always known it or I have to... Um, just leave it all. There, there, our tradition, our experience, our cultural um, practice of Christian faith. Christian faith is not not only just now in this place in time, but like you said, just globally. Yeah. There's so many other ways that it has been interpreted that I think gives you kind of space to go. Oh, okay, so it's not it's not just a binary choice I have before me. Mm-hmm. I think there's some, I come from science education background, so I think there's some space too to say when I teach students and to talk about like 
the way science has come, come around and the way faith has come around too, is they deal with different parts of the question. Like, there, there are things science cannot answer because that's not part of the science. Any good scientist would tell you that. There's a book called Just the Theory. That's a science book and it talks about what questions science is built to answer and the methodology that's designed for that. And then there's, there's questions faith is meant to answer. And I think there's a marriage between them, you know, that complements everything, but that's a good starting point for some yeah. people to think. Yeah. How versus why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's, to, to try to throw one thing into the, that question of science starting with observation and working towards theories and faith starting with kind of a, a conclusion and, and working to see how things fit. I, I think um, w one, one thing to, uh, a lot of people would object to how I'm going to say this, but um, uh, science takes faith and it takes uh, a specific kind of faith that says when we observe the world we have enough information to start to formulate real theories about the world. That's not a given. It, we could all be in some kind of illusion or simulation or something like this. It could all be fake. Everything we observe could be a lie and, or there could be no coherence to what we observe, right? So we, when we do science, we, um, we actually start with a few assumptions that we're taking on faith, which is that we have the kinds of mind that can look at the universe and start to understand what's going on. We have the, the kinds of ability to observe that, you know, and, and to, make, um, to make legitimate conclusions. Um, sometimes this is called the Copernican principle, which is the idea that basically what we're observing here scientifically is actually the same thing that you would observe in a different galaxy, right? The, the laws of physics are basically the same everywhere. That's an assumption. There's a huge amount of assumptions that go into this. And I think those are ultimately, they, are, they typically are unexamined in scientific discourse, but they're theological assumptions. And they come out of this history of thinking of, of ourselves as made in the image of God, a creator who created the world in a certain way and created us to be able to appreciate it and to bring glory um, for it. Right? And if those two things are not true, the person or thing that created our universe is nothing like what we are, then we have no basis for the scientific process itself. Right? So we do start with some kind of faith assumptions. I think the, the key is just having those in the right place. And I think some of the scientists um, we might talk about um, tried to put their theology in how they thought about the sun and how they thought about the earth and all that. And I think that's the, the, a mistake. The, the place that scripture puts theology is in how we understand ourselves and our relationship to God. And when we get those in the right place, I think that launches science on the right trajectory. I think we're out of time. Any last comments? Um, any, any, uh, thank you. Thank you all so much. Um, I'm looking forward to the rest of this and to uh, some of the uh, discussions that, um, that others are going to lead us in. So thank you for being here. <laughs>